We want to welcome you to the New Song Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Colorado Springs. We love receiving your prayer requests and comments at newsongcs.com. I love this man, and it's so good to be here with you this morning. It's awesome. And I love, by the way, this worship team. What I love about the worship team is it reflected the church. You had generations up here standing together and I believe this if there's air in your lungs if your heart's still beating God's not done with us and uh, I loved I love just the picture of a worship team that reflects the church powerful powerful it is a privilege to be here I uh, was coaching our world cup team I'm in Anatolia Turkey we're sitting in the hotel lobby it's 3 36 in the morning and uh we just finished the World Cup, and it, it, we were, if you know anything about wrestling, the Russians are the perennial powerhouse. And at the World Cup, we were bracketed on the side of Russia, and we beat Russia in the semifinals. I don't think they heard me. We beat Russia in the semifinals. And then we lost to the Ukraine in the finals. So we were the second best team in the world. And I'm sitting in the hotel lobby, 3.36 in the morning. I'm sitting next to Joe Warren. Now, Joe Warren is known as the toughest man on the planet. His, his tagline is baddest man on the planet. He, he was a reigning world champion. He went undefeated in the World Cup. He now holds the belt in Bellator for an ultimate fighting. He, he, he is a tough, tough man. Well... Joe Warren sat next to me, and he says, Coach, he says, I've got a question for you. And I said, what's that, Joe? He said, how did you finish strong? Now, that is a great question. But it is 3.36 in the morning. So I did the best that I could to answer his question, but it was one of those things where I couldn't get that question out of my head. How do you finish strong? And it sent me on a journey where I, as was mentioned, I wrote a book, and the book is titled, Finish Strong. And what it was for me was sitting down and writing about my, uh, my journey in the first season of my life with the idea of how do I finish it strong in the last season of my life, which meant I had to get honest with a lot of things. There's a lot of things in there that I didn't want to write but I had to bring it out in the open because when it's brought out here, then you can start dealing with it. And I feel like God doesn't waste anything. And, and so what you walk through, where you've been, where those steps have gone, as was spoken earlier, God will use all those things if you can take and surrender those things to him. So we're going to talk this morning. Here's my goal this morning is that you're going to leave here knowing that you're in a fight. And you're going to know where to engage the fight. You're going to begin to begin thinking about kingdom strategies. When we talk about grit, how to uh, uh, fight the right fight and not be distracted. I was eight years an Olympic solidarity instructor, which meant I'd go into developing nations and I would help them build an Olympic committee and I'd help them build grassroots sports. I was assigned to difficult places like the Federated States of Micronesia. Beautiful. Or I was in Guam, I, I was in Palau. Anybody been to Palau? Best scuba diving in the world. Really rough assignments. 
So here I'm in Palau, and, and, and the, the, my athletes decide to take me out on the water one day. And so we're in this boat, and we're going out on the water. And there's no way to describe the beauty of the water. I mean, you can look down off the boat, and you look right down to the seafloor, all of the beautiful fish. And they, they took this boat into this cove. And as they came into the cove, a big black tip shark started circling our boat. Now, I've watched the Jaws movies one too many times, and I'm, I'm beginning to picture this, this shark jumping out of the water, grabbing a hold of me and pulling me into the water with it. And, and I could hear in the distance, da-da, da-da. And my athletes, say, I think they could sense the fear, so they said this. They said, jump in the water with the black tip shark. So what's a guy to do when his manhood is being challenged? I jumped in the water with the black tip shark. And the moment I hit the water, I, I, all of my senses were heightened. My, my sense of smell and sight, even my skin. I mean, everything was uh, attuned to, to the surroundings because I was in the water with a black tip shark. The amygdala, the threat center of your brain was fully activated. And, and I'm, I'm trying to swim back towards the boat. And as I'm getting towards close to the boat, the people, my athletes that were driving the boat, took the boat right out of the cove. Now I'm terrified of sharks. And, and I begin thinking about all the Jaws movies I've seen and thinking, don't, don't flail. If I flail, they'll think I'm wounded prey and the shark will attack me. So I'm doing long, smooth strokes in the water, trying to glide, 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 glide. Smooth strokes, glide, glide, glide. I don't glide well in the water. I'm a terrible swimmer. And, and I begin thinking, if I survived this, I don't know my athletes will survive practice tomorrow. It took near forever to get out to the boat, and I finally got there, and they pulled me out of the water onto the boat, and I had that look in my eyes, and they could see, and, and they said, coach, 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 and I said, what? And they said, you didn't have to be afraid of a black tip shark. They said, they're a timid shark. You really weren't in danger from the black tip shark, but they said, the moment that you got close to the boat, they said, we saw a saltwater crocodile coming your way, and we had to chase that crocodile out. Don't be distracted by sharks when there's a crocodile in the water. <laughs> I had no idea there were saltwater crocodiles in Palau. And, and I, I think there's times in our life, this is just an aside, I just want to say this. There's times in your life that you can feel like God is distant from you. Like, like where did he go? And, and you begin to wonder and question, but maybe, just maybe, God is taking care of the crocodile that you didn't even know existed. So I'm in the water I get out of this water, and I'm processing this, and I, I want to say this. What lies below the surface of the ocean of our lives really does matter. And church, there's a crocodile in the water. There's a crocodile in the water. But too easily we get distracted with the black-tipped sharks of life. We don't even know that there's a crocodile. I was... Uh, Reading a passage, I've read this passage a thousand times. I, just about every wedding, they want you to do this, this chapter. It's the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And I came to verse 13, and I read this, and I'd never seen this before. And it, it hit me in a way that I'd never, uh, never caught before. It's this. These three shall remain. Faith, hope, and love. 
And the greatest of these? And the greatest of these? These three things shall remain. These are the things that matter. This is what's important. Faith, hope, and love. But too often in life we're distracted with the black tip sharks while the enemy is coming after those three things. Jesus said this in John 10.10. He said this. He said that there's this thief, that there's this enemy of our soul that wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. Well, listen, church, this is what I believe. If you want to know where the fight is, there's an enemy of your soul that's trying to steal your faith. He's trying to kill your hope. And he's trying to destroy your love. It's the three that are to remain. And it's where the fight is. And everything else is merely a distraction. The enemy of your soul is out to steal your faith. When I was five years old, just five years old, I remember going into Sunday school class and I prayed to receive Jesus into my heart. And even at that young age, I could feel him. I could sense that he was there. It was a true faith. And even in that moment, just a few years later, I remember my mom uh, hurriedly bringing my brother and sister and I into the car, and she said, we've got to get out of here. We got into the car, and we sped away into the mountains a couple hours from our home. We were running from my father, who was angry and a rageaholic. And I didn't understand at, at seven years old. I, did, I had no understanding of what was happening in the relationship with my parents. All I knew was that I was afraid, and I had questions, and I was hiding upstairs. And at some point, my father found out where, where we were hiding, and he burst into the home, and I could hear the anger and the yelling downstairs. What I didn't understand in that moment, that at the age of seven, the enemy of my soul was already out to steal my faith, a faith that I knew to be real. And from that moment forward, from the time I was seven to 16, my parents went on this rocky journey of uh, emotions and raging and uh, love and everything in between. I was so confused. And at 16, my parents divorced. And at that moment, I did what many young women do when they lose a father in their life. I grabbed onto the first man that would promise me security. I was engaged at the time I was 17, and I had such a skewed perspective of what relationship was, and I had such a skewed perspective of what father meant. Because the father that I had earthly was a reflection to me of my heavenly father. And how many of you know that when those get messed up, it's really hard to open your Bible and read the promises that he has for you because you don't really know, can you trust him? Can you trust what he say is true? And I went to college, and uh, it was my first term of college. It was the end of the term, and my roommates and I, we were uh, going to have a party to celebrate, and I was walking home from school, from practice. I was a volleyball player, and I ran into this knobby-eared wrestler. He happened to bump into me. Later did I find out that he actually was on a mission. He had seen me from the time I stepped onto that campus and had the goal that he would get my phone number by the end of the term. And so I happened to run into him in the park blocks. And uh, I, we began a conversation. And of course, I'm engaged at this time. So I'm not interested in whatever he has to offer. 
But I said, hey, why don't you bring your friends over? We're going to have a gathering tonight. And so what did he do? He showed up just himself. And he had on the most perfect geometric block sweater from the 80s. And uh, he was all alone. So I knew right away there was something up with this guy. And uh, we sat for hours that night. And we shared about our struggles. I found out that not only had I experienced the, um, the, the pain of divorce in my family, but he had as well. And we began to talk about our lives and how our faith uh, was being challenged and how we were not going to church regularly. And um, you know what? Sometimes things happen against us, like our parents. We couldn't control that. And yet it caused us to question our faith. But sometimes we make decisions on our own that take us down a road. Yeah. So in that moment, we had a choice. Now, I was still engaged. I didn't know what to do with that, but I knew that God had brought him into my life for a reason. And for the next six months, he chased me and chased me and chased me and tried to convince me that he was a better catch than my fiancé. Eventually, he won. Um, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad that in that moment, the Lord provided a way for me to begin to understand that he wanted to provide those promises and he wanted me to wrestle through <laughs> wrestle with a wrestler wrestle through my faith to begin to see the truth about my earthly father who I will celebrate with you after 23 years away from the church he did come back and he's stronger in his faith than ever my parents have uh, been reconciled in their relationship and only through continuing to press in in faith and learning that instead of being distracted by the sharks in the water, recognizing that if we fight at the level of family, if we fight at the level of relationship, instead of fighting for, fighting for faith, then we get so distracted and we miss where the enemy is coming to steal and kill and destroy. And now, all these years later, we've been married 27 years we have four kids who are all uh, grown and gone. We have two that are, were just married this August. And the Lord has asked us probably the biggest step of faith we've ever experienced now. He asked us to leave the church that we had pastored, uh, 26 years in the local church, uh, co-pastoring. And he asked us to sell our home. He asked us to sell pretty much everything we own. Everything that we own now fits in our Ford Expedition. And we are on the road all the time, 300 days this year, because we have a story to tell. And he's asking us to step out in extreme faith, fearless faith, in order to tell the stories of what he's doing around the globe. One of those stories is that he's taking us into northern Africa. And uh, there's a faith dialogue that's been happening now for 13 years between Muslims and Christians. This is an unprecedented opportunity that we have to be able to go and share the love of Jesus with our Muslim friends and to be able to learn from their own uh, faith and their own struggle and story. And none of this would have been possible if we hadn't learned to, to stop being distracted by the sharks and to begin to press in to fearless faith. The enemy of our soul is out to steal our faith. The enemy of our soul is out to kill our hope. I believe this, though, that God wants us to be a people of fearless faith. I think that's called grit. Yes, fearless Amen. faith. Amen. Fearless faith. I believe that he also wants us to have infectious hope, but there's an enemy of our soul that wants to kill our hope. I don't know if you've ever seen hopelessness. 
I was, uh, because of wrestling, wrestling opens unique doors. And it's part of where God's calling us is to go into difficult places and hard places and challenging places, places where we can't send missionaries, pastors, but wrestling and wrestling coaches can go. Uh, so there are these doors that open, and we're, we're in, a, in a culture, in a country, or as invited, that it was part of the former Soviet Union. It's now a Muslim culture, and they love wrestling. In fact, in this culture, the, the word for man and the word for wrestling is the same word. To be an ultimate manly man is to be a wrestler. So it opens these unique doors. Well, while we're there, we got a prison director that asked if we would come and if we could uh, come and, and uh, have dinner with them. We said, we'd love to come have dinner if we could come speak to your prisoners. He says, no, it's not possible. We said, well, we've got a busy schedule. And he called back a few hours later and he says, okay, it's possible. So we came and we met with uh, uh, this, this prison director outside the prison. And, and it was like most prisons that had barbed wire fences around it. Inside the barbed wire fences was another row of barbed wire fences. And they had placed landmines around that and they said please stay on the path we said we can do that they told us when we went in they said don't touch any of the prisoners they said all of these prisoners have skin diseases all of these prisoners have have lice and and uh, over 50 percent of these prisoners have tuberculosis don't touch the prisoners i can't describe the smell of this prison as they walked us through, they had big rooms like this that were filled with rows and rows and rows and rows of bunk beds where they'd sleep a hundred to a room. And so you can imagine how disease has passed quickly and easily. And, and then they gathered over a thousand prisoners in this room. Well, I, I remember looking out over this this group of prisoners and we were up on the stage and a bunch of wrestlers so we're throwing each other around and we're trying to you know put on this big display and these prisoners just sat there a lot of them just folded their hands and the thing that I'll never forget is the look in their eyes over a thousand prisoners absolutely hopeless Albert Camus a writer philosopher said this to lose one's life is a little thing and I shall have the courage to do so when it's necessary. But to see the meaning of life dissipate, to see the meaning of life disappear, that's the unbearable thing, for man cannot live without meaning, without hope. And I'm looking at a thousand prisoners without hope. Our, our interpreter was a guy that had made the 1980 Olympic team. How did we do in the 1980 Summer Olympics? We did not go. We boycotted. <laughs> so he made the 1980 Olympic team, had spent his whole life training and makes the team and doesn't get to go. And from that point, feels a call from God. And in 1980, he moved his family to Moscow and started serving, reaching people for Jesus. So here's our interpreter, and he's looking at this crowd and he said, is there anybody here that would like to challenge any of these guys to a wrestling match? I'm thinking he wasn't paying attention when we were outside. We're not supposed to touch these guys, let alone wrestle. And all of a sudden, the prisoner started chanting a name. And this prisoner gets up and he starts walking forward. And he's walking forward. You could see 
He had the ears. He was a wrestler. Have you ever feel that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was a wrestler. And he came up and they said, who, who do you want to challenge? And he points at me. But he was frail and malnourished. And I just grabbed him by his shoulders and gently took him to the ground. As we got done, the interpreter said, Dan, would you stand up and we'll share with these prisoners the hope that you have. Now, we're in a culture and a place where it's illegal to talk about having your hope based on Jesus Christ. We're in a place and a culture where it's illegal to have a Bible. We're in a place and a culture where it's illegal to gather like we're gathering in the name of Jesus. And I got to stand up in that prison with over a thousand prisoners and begin to speak about the hope that I have found in Jesus. I gave an illustration there. I said, you, you know, you can, take a, you can take a rock and you can throw a rock into a pond and you're going to get a little splash and you're going to get little ripples and that rock's going to end up all the way down on the bottom. Or I said, you can take a big rock and you can throw that big rock in the water and you get a big splash, you get big ripples. But just like the little rock, that big rock, both will end up in the same place. See, some of us just make a bigger splash in life. But for the hope, that we have in Jesus. And as I was sharing, there's a prisoner about three quarters of the way back in the room with over a thousand prisoners gathered. And he stood to his feet and he raised his hands and began declaring out loud, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Over a thousand prisoners, he's saying, Praise you, God. Praise you, God. We got done and we touched every single prisoner in that prison. Skin disease, tuberculosis, it didn't matter. Because this is what we believe, is disease should be afraid of Jesus. That Jesus was one that was not afraid to place his hand on disease. He was not afraid to put his hand on, on problems and struggle and go into the difficult places. And, and because his call was to, to, to free the prisoners, to free those that are in bondage and and we believe that if they were touching our hand, they weren't touching our hand. They were getting to touch the hand of Jesus. Well, we were there, and this prisoner came forward, and he says he was, he was just so moved. He said, I've been praying. He said, I'm the only Christian in this entire prison. I'm the only one. And he said, I've been praying that God would bring some other Christians. And he just was overwhelmed that God had brought us into this prison, that he would stand up and raise his hands and say, hallelujah. And he said, I, I, I don't have a Bible. I would love to have a Bible to read God's word. And about that time, the prison director came up and he says, I've never seen anything like this. He said, you guys have to come back. We said, we'll have a team back in next week. And that following week, we were able to take in over a thousand Bibles in a place where it's illegal. And we got a Bible for every prisoner there. And he didn't understand this prison wasn't just a prison. This was the highest security prison in the former Soviet Union. This prison, they had only allowed one group of visitors in the history of this prison, was 13 years earlier. Cuban prison guards that were looking at the prison system of the former Soviet Union were touring. That was the only visitors that had ever been allowed into this prison. And the prisoners that were put there were put there to die. They were never coming out. And that man that stood and raised his hands... He was put in that prison to die because he was a pastor. 
So there's an enemy of your soul that wants to kill your hope. But this is what I believe. is God called us to be a people of fearless faith and infectious hope. And God loved these prisoners so much that he had put a pastor in that prison. See, sometimes we don't understand why we're put in the circumstances that we've been put in. And we can get distracted by the sharks. But God has put our feet there for a reason. Get your eyes off of your circumstances. That prisoner was not looking at the disease and the darkness and the difficulties. That prisoner stood to his feet and he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. And he raised his hands and declared, Hallelujah! God placed him there and listen, today in that prison, in a culture, in a country where it's illegal, there's a church now that meets inside that prison, protected in that prison, where people that were without hope, where an enemy of soul trying to kill their hope, have found hope in Jesus. But listen, we've got to know where the fight is. We can't be distracted by our circumstances got to fight at the level of hope there's a soul that wants to steal your faith who wants to carry hope who wants to destroy your love we were 10 years married four small children busy in ministry dan was uh coaching wrestling we were uh both ministering not only locally in the in the church but also traveling in some kind of short-term missions pretty regularly and we found ourselves in the counseling office. Ten years in, and the counselor, he, he had several doctorate degrees. He had been a pastor for years, so we thought, this guy's going to understand our unique circumstances. He said, I think you need to do some personality assessment. So he gave us some, uh, some little questionnaires to fill out, and we came back and presented the results, and he looked in the manual. At this time, it was the dsm 4 the psychology manual, scientific studies, he said, I think you need to take this home and read it. <laughs> we should have been warned at that moment. So we took that manual home and we read about our two personalities. And this is what it literally said in the manual. It said, these two personalities together are the kiss of death. <laughs> okay, we're 10 years in at this point. What are we supposed to do with this? So we come back to the counselor, and we throw that book down. He said, what is this all about? What do we do? He said, you know what? It's true. He said, you two, you keep going the way you're going like this. You're the kiss of death. But he said something really, really important. He said, but if ever you would be united on a vision, you'd be unstoppable. Okay, the diagnosis may not be great, but we have something now that we can strive toward. We know that in our relationship, we may be the kiss of death, but if we will wrestle to unity, if we will come together in unity, we can be unstoppable. And this began a new journey for us as we continued over the years in marriage and raising children. You see, the enemy of our soul was out to destroy our love. And for many years, as uh, top-level athletes, highly competitive achiever mentalities, we had battled each other, fighting against love instead of fighting for love. And he was destroying that love. And so once we realized that, wow, if we can wrestle through our unique differences and challenges, if we can get to unity, we'd be unstoppable. So if I'm not in agreement, then he knows he better watch out and vice versa. 
Because if we will wrestle together, the Lord can do great and mighty things through us. And that's what we've seen over the years. But so many times, you, you look in this room alone, and we each come, and we bring our unique circumstances, the positives, the, the baggage. We bring everything. You look in this room right here, it's kind of like the kiss of death. But if together you could be united on a vision, you could be unstoppable. This city wouldn't know what to do with you if you can grab and wrestle for unity together. You can be unstoppable. That's the fight, to fight for love. And in our culture, don't we see that this is the way the enemy is destroying our culture, is in love. Who gets to choose what kind of love is? Who gets to describe love or dictate who you get to love? We're, we're fighting about so many things in our culture. We're fighting over gender. We're fighting over race. We're fighting over eth ethnicity and, and borders. The enemy is destroying our love. He's getting us distracted with the sharks when there's an, a crocodile in the, wa the water that is literally trying to destroy our culture. And you know the best way to fight for love is to fight for understanding, is to fight to listen to each other and to, to en engage in healthy discussion. And yet instead we're, we're at these opposites in our culture, these polarizing opposites. We can't be distracted by those sharks. See, when we go into the desert and we're, we're sitting and we're talking with our Muslim friends who have a completely different worldview, we're not there to try to convince them to become Christians. We're there to learn. We're there to understand. We're there to lift up the name of Jesus. We're there to engage them in a dialogue where we can come to a level of love for each other that transcends politics and religion and all those things that make us fight and battle each other. And this is why we're committed. We're committed for as long as the Lord would give us favor to bring God's love because the Bible says God is love. And there are over 3 billion people in the world that have no access to the true biblical love of God. They have no access. And we, we can be that love. But first, we have to understand the source. We have to understand that if God is love, then we have to tie into that love so that then we can be that resource of love to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to people across the globe that have never heard the name of Jesus, that don't understand how God truly is love. The enemy of our soul is stealing our faith. He's killing our hope, and he's destroying our love. This last time in the desert, uh, we, we've always gone just to engage uh, with the people. We've never been invited to actually share in this dialogue. This is a dialogue with Muslim scholars and with Christian scholars. We're talking about Christian scholars that have, have led movements like the Billy Graham Crusade that, that have studied the Bible for generations and have learned specific dialects. So we, we don't feel like we're in the same category. But this time, a day before, we were asked, the two of us, to stand up together as husband and wife and share what it meant to be a family, to share the love that we have for each other. What an amazing opportunity, especially when you look at our history. 
that, the, that God would ask the two that were called the kiss of death to be a witness to a, a group of people that have never understood what man and woman being mutually submitted to each other is like? Wow. God, what an amazing opportunity. Thank you, Lord, that I get to go and wrestle through my own struggle of, of uh, being love and being the right partner for my spouse and then being able to be that witness to a people. What an amazing opportunity we have. But the enemy of our soul, he will keep us distracted. And yet God would call us to be a people of fearless faith, infectious hope, and relentless love. You can say that again. Amen. Amen. That's where the fight is. That's where the fight is. Faith, hope, and love. I know for me, uh, you know, when, when, I, when, I wrote, when I wrote my book, I had to get honest. I had to get honest. I had to deal with my stuff. And I think part of, part of the journey that God has all of us on is knowing where the fight is and getting honest with where we're at. Not just getting honest, but getting humble. Remember uh, coming into a four-square church. It was one of those four-square churches like I saw your pastor this morning. It's one of those four-square churches where they raised their hands in the songs. And it bothered me. I would sit there and think, who do they think they are? I remember being one Sunday, I'm really bothered and and looking at these people as they're worshiping and they got their hands in the air and I got all these critical thoughts going and then that night I was out at a little dance club and I'm dancing I'm waving my hands in the air like I just don't care and I heard the Lord speak to me in a dance club he said Dan how come you can raise your hands for all the ladies and you can't raise your hands for me the next Sunday I'm at church and they were doing a song I didn't even like the song I wasn't getting warm fuzzies I had my normal posture, hands in my pockets, and I just felt like God said, am I worthy? I had to get honest. I had to get humble. And I remember as I took my hands out of my pockets and I raised my hands, something broke. And it's not about whether you raise your hands or not. That's not the point. The point is this, getting humble. You want victory in your life? Victory comes through surrender. It's surrendering to God. And when we surrender to Him and say, God, you're the source. God, you are love. And you get to define what love looks like. And the greatest of these is love. So to know love is to know you. And God, I surrender to you. That's where you find victory. You get honest. You get humble. Listen, you get healed. And this morning, I know that the enemy's soul has been after three things in your life. Faith, hope, and love. And I know many of you have been distracted with all kinds of other things. This morning, I just feel like God is saying, I want you to take a step. Have some grit. Now you know where the fight is. And here's the beauty is you're not fighting alone. You're not alone. He's with you. But you got to get honest. You got to get humble. You get healed. This morning, I'd like to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you know the enemy's been coming at you in the area of faith, he's been trying to steal your faith, I'd ask you to do something bold this morning. I ask you to stand right where you're at.
Faith. That's you, would you stand? Faith. Tell you, just by standing, you moved in the opposite spirit. By standing, it, it took fearless faith which is what God wants in you. And I love that the Bible says this, if you stand for me, I stand for you before the Father. I declare over you a people of fearless faith. Fearless faith. Fearless faith. No longer distracted with what the enemy's doing. You know where the fight is and you're fighting it well. Fearless faith. Fearless faith. If you're here this morning, hope is where the enemies would come after. Hope, would you stand? I know for me, I, uh, I was diagnosed in May with liver disease. They said one in five's fatal. I've done the statistics. I think if you're on this side of eternity, it's fatal. But I love this. God says this, that when we die to ourselves, we're alive in Him, and we've got nothing but life before us. But things like liver disease or things like cancer, sickness, the enemy wants to kill your hope. We gotta fight at the level of hope. We gotta be people of infectious hope. And if we're battling through those things, recognize if my feet are here, I can raise my hands and declare hallelujah. Hope that comes from you. I declare of you infectious hope. Infectious hope. Infectious hope. If the enemy of your soul has been trying to destroy your love, would you stand? Love. I want to read. This comes directly out of the Bible. This is a prayer from the Bible, so I think it's a good one. It was effective back then, and I think it's effective today. Ephesians 3 says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, fearless faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, God is love. Get rooted and established in him, for he is love. That you may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I love this. That you, listen, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. How big is God? See, in the fullness of God in you, the fullness of love in you, the power of the fullness of the full measure of God in you. I declare for you relentless love. Relentless love. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Can we all stand? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen i declare for you a people of fearless faith infectious hope 
and relentless love in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus. I'd like for us to close this morning with this song about the reckless love of God. His love is reckless. I know for me, when I understood that God loves me, it was a game changer. Our eyes are not fixed on our battles and struggles and circumstances. We fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter. When we go into the desert with these, with, with these people struggling and battling and, and, and all we do is, our goal is just to lift Jesus up. He says if we lift Jesus up, He says He will draw those unto Him. And the same is true for us. Get our eyes fixed on Him. God is love. His love is reckless. And let's declare this this morning together in song, in unity, as Jesus prayed that we may be one, one with Him as with the Father, that the world may believe. God is good. Sing this together. Thanks for listening today. Remember, God wants to do the impossible through you and me. We encourage you to become a deeper part of what we are doing. Visit us at newsongcs.com and become a giver to the New Song Foundation and an investor in bringing this message of Jesus across the world. God bless you.